The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Next! Qualifications. Rape, murder, awesome, and rape. You said rape twice. I like rape. <laughs> Charming. Sign right here. Next! Qualifications? Arson, armed robbery, mayhem. Wait a moment. What have you got in your mouth? Gum. Chewing gum online, eh? I hope you brought enough for everybody. I didn't know there was going to be so many. Boy, is he strict. Welcome to the Mazar Cast. Howdy, Tiger fans, and welcome to the Mazadcast. I'm your host, Brennan Steenbergen. With me, as always, is the Assistant Director of Fluffing for the Arizona Cardinals, Colin Steenbergen. Great to be here. Not with us this week, unfortunately, dealing with the consequences of a prolapsed uterus is uh, Brian Goers. He's in my prayers. This is a very exciting episode because we're coming off a huge win. Huge win. Huge win against... Texas A&M on the road, Missouri's ninth straight road victory, and a shocking one at that. We ended last week's episode by saying how we were all pessimistic about the outcome of this game. I've basically been pessimistic about every game since Indiana. And (laughs) And rightfully so. Yeah, and who can blame me? But um, yeah, this was actually a a really good game on both sides of the ball. Um, Matty Mock did not play good, but he did not play bad. He played somewhere in the the middle ground of good and bad, which is all we need from Matty Mock, considering how good our defense has become this year. I was ready to basically straight up murder him after that first interception because it was a classic Matty Mock interception where he just lofted it up with way too much air into the middle of the field. I saw several people on um, Twitter making the same point that if you looked up the stats and who's making Matty Mock interceptions, they're guaranteeing it's usually a safety because it's always on those. I was going to say, if you are a safety going up against the Tigers or defensive back in some sort of open zone coverage. Fucking licking your chops. You've got to be licking your chops because he, at some point during any one game, is going to just loft one. Yeah. And it's just like a frisbee catching air, you yeah. know, and it just hangs up there. And uh, and unfortunately for our wide receivers who are trying to run their route, they're usually about 10 yards too deep because it just hangs up and they've got to run back and scramble to make sure it yeah, doesn't go I, back. I feel like if I was playing the Tigers and Matty Mock as the quarterback, I would just whoever my safety is or my free safety is, I'm going to bench them that week and I'm just going to get a Labrador <laughs> and I'm going to put them out there and just wait for Matty Mock to throw that ball. The, the, the plus side of Matty Mock's play was that somehow he looked much, much sharper on his short passes, on yes. his slants and screens. He, uh, that's always been his trouble was those short passes. Lofting yeah. the ball is usually his strength, at least with our um, talented wide receivers. But in this horrible Weather conditions at Texas A&M down at Kyle Field, he was much sharper than he was when it was 70 degrees and sunny against Kentucky at Mizzou. Well, I don't know why. I, always, I kind of was hoping at some point that the pressure being off on Matty Mock a little bit because everybody had just kind of universally agreed he was hot garbage. Hot, hot, garbage. That, um, he would start to feel less and less pressure to perform and therefore would, would start to perform better. 
and I'm hoping that maybe that was the first sign of this. It's like, well, they're gonna they're gonna emphasize the run. I'm I'm hot garbage, so hot garbage. they're not gonna lean on me too much, mm-hmm. and therefore I, I I play better. I feel more free. I feel more loose. And he certainly played like that. But again, I don't I don't want to overstate or understate what Matty Mock did. He played okay. So there were a lot of factors, I think, besides Matty Mock being hot garbage. Hot, hot uh, garbage. One is that we had all three of our key wide receivers who were healthy. Darius White, who caught everything that came his way, and it was Absolutely. great to see him back. Jimmy Hunt, who was at full strength, looked great. He caught a ton of passes, and it looked like there was a clear intention of getting him the ball more. And, of course, Bud Sasser was done what Bud Sasser's done all year, which is look good. So it helped Matty Mock to have three receivers at full strength, which has not been the case most of the year. It also helped that our offensive line got their stuff together. When they weren't creating false start penalties, they were yeah. dominating the line Connor against Texas. Connor McGovern, that guy. Two straight false starts and a red zone situation. Connor McGovern oh. loves to hop around on the offensive line. Well, and it's, I, you know, listen, Connor McGovern is the guy who oftentimes when I see somebody chasing Matty Mock quickly into the backfield, is it's Connor McGovern's who's blown that block. But I, it's, and that's bad. But uh, when he starts doing penalties and not being able to block, that becomes a real problem. Though they did emphasize in the game at one point, Jesse Palmer bringing it up that uh, he, uh, he did pull out a couple times in those running plays mm-hmm. and make good blocks. It's not, it's like in all things, it's not always all good or all bad. But Connor McGovern play all season has been pretty brutal in my opinion. Yet, given all that, given the penalties, given Connor McGovern's shaky play, in the second half, the third quarter specifically, Missouri's offensive line exploded. Completely dominated Texas A&M. It wasn't even a contest. Texas A&M's whole strategy was to score and score slowly so that they would not have to deal with our running game, <laughs> yeah, which we absolutely. haven't even brought up. Yeah. The few, the Matty Mock being sharper and better with his short passes did open up the running game and no one more than Russell Hansborough took advantage of that. 199 yards rushing. In, shit, most of it in the third quarter alone. Marcus Murphy had a bunch of – I think they both had over 20 carries. And Ish Witter even got in the action and scored mm-hmm. a touchdown. Um, you can see why they're excited about him. He is Marcus Murphy fast. And I'm really happy that they're getting him in the action a little bit more. They're working yeah. in him just enough, I think. And and so the third quarter, Missouri's third quarter opened it up completely. We had over 500 yards of offense, which is – Far and away more than any other game we've ever had in SEC play, and it harkened back to our first couple of games against weak non-conference opponents. That all that being said, it was a very close game, and we required a defensive stand on the goal line to uh, to secure the win. A lot of that was due to special teams fuck ups and, like we mentioned, penalties. We had a, a few special teams flubs and one key penalty. Uh, blocking the, or running into the kicker, which took a, a punting situation and turned it into a Texas A&M touchdown. Yeah, really, the first couple scores that Texas A&M had were the direct result of special teams, special team buckups, and but, stops that they had resulted in offensive penalties on our side. So Hansborough was just—you could tell at some point he had he had decided in his own mind that I, they're not going to be able to stop me, and he just—he even started to look like he was running with more authority than he had started the game with. And I've always said, I mean, and this is not me saying I don't like Marcus Murphy or me bashing Marcus Murphy. This is me saying that I love Russell Hansborough. Um, you know, of the two, I think Murphy gets more, I don't know, credit or I think accolades. It's, it's just he's faster and he's flashier. and He, run, he runs punt returns and kickoffs, so he yeah, gets more uh, he attention. Gets, but Hansborough, to me, is the better running back, the pure running back. He's got a little wiggle. He's got enough speed. Um, he seems to find holes when there aren't holes. He just he can make more out of nothing. And you know Murphy is like get him a, get him a hole. He'll make one cut and he will 
blow your doors off. But as far as creating something when there's not a lot there, that's that's definitely Hansborough's strong suit as compared to Murphy. Yeah, and I mean, I think one thing we should bring into the topic of this game in particular is that, and really the reason I think we were all pretty pessimistic going in was we knew the Texas A&M was a passing team. They have been. They kind of run the exact same offense they did under Manziel. Pinkle famously said that. Um, and we had uh, Aaron Penton, who was sitting out uh, indefinitely due to that. being a dum-dum. And <laughs> loving marijuana. Yep. And, of course, Braylon Webb had to sit out the first half mm-hmm. due to a crappy targeting penalty from the game before. So we were very, you know, we Weak. had to go into our depth chart uh, for our secondary. So I expected them to kind of pass on I us and like score a lot of points. I played our hand a little bit. I mean, with the, with the way they ran their, their offense, they just kind of played into our hand. They didn't throw the ball out. They didn't test us downfield a great deal. Well, you know, the one score, long score they had, Brendan, they was on a slant that we just got burned on. It yeah, wasn't a long Kenya pass Dennis, over um, the top. Kenya Dennis didn't have a great game, and no, he got he burned not. on that. And um, But I think you're right, you know, and I, as I often do after a good Missouri win, I trolled a little bit on Texas sure. A&M websites because that's always it fills my soul. And I think they said a lot of the same thing. That, that Like, why did we run the offense we did? You know, we, we – they didn't take advantage of opportunities they could have, and, and they fell into our trap a little bit. But to be fair, uh, Texas A&M lost their primary defensive player to an injury just before the game, and they lost a bunch of players to injury yeah. during the course of the game. So they got progressively smaller and weaker. Well, those pre players, Brennan, weren't Mizzou made. So, you know, they're <laughs> not going to have injuries. True enough. They got gigged. Yeah. Jeez Louise. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to bring something up, too, over talking about the game. Um, so they placed the camera 13 stories above the stadium. It did seem like they So somebody had tweeted that perhaps, you know, the, the uh, European Union had landed a, a, a robotic probe on a comet uh, this <laughs> week, and they were wondering if maybe the, the camera for this game was also on that probe, and that's how they were recording the, uh, the Texas A&M game. portion of this game I was watching in my bedroom, I literally had to go downstairs back into my living room because my... My bedroom television is not that big, and when you have a camera that's 13 miles above the stadium, it's hard. It, the picture's not great because everything's so tiny, and then you you know put it on a small television. I literally was like, I can't watch this game on this TV. And we play. It seems like we played at Kyle Field almost every year for the last five years, but I don't remember what the camera angles were before. I know they've had massive renovations, and I don't know if the camera placement is a a byproduct of the new field that they've put together, but it did seem like we were right on top of it. Some people liked it because you could really see the offensive and defensive formations. That's great if you're like a a fucking stat head. Yeah. But as far as just enjoying a football game, it was a little disconcerting, especially when you're really used to a different angle from every other game you're ever going to watch. Then go get the 22 film from – each end of the end zone that the coaches watch. You want to watch, watch coaches tape if you like that. Personally, I like to be able to see what the jersey numbers of the players are from the from on the television, <laughs> and um, you know, literally having difficulty with that. It's uh, it was it was it was weird. strange. I, and, and the thing was, I found that I would get used to it and forget about it, and then somebody would like tweet about it and say something about how far the camera was, and then it would immediately bother me again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre, and I guess every AM game is that way, because I assume they put the cameras in the same spot all the time, but I'll be glad to not play there anymore, and we will not play Texas A&M or at Kyle Field for, for like another decade or two uh, because of the way the uh, the SEC West you know, conference schedule works That's out. actually a shame, because we pretty well own Kyle Field. Yeah, I think Texas A&M is glad to not see us anymore, so... Uh, but uh, I also think we talked about it in the past, how Texas A&M kind of had the welcome mat rolled out for it when they joined the SEC, and we kind of got scoffed at, like, what are they going to do? 
We've beaten the shit out of Texas A&M. We pretty oh. consistently. The people were calling Kyle Field Faro South because of how successful we've been down there. And you know, I I am sad to see Texas A&M go. We're going to play Mississippi State next year instead Boo. of Texas A&M. And I wish we could have played Mississippi State any other year except the year that they're in contention for a fucking title. No doubt. Anyway. All in all, it was a great game, and, and it did a lot of things. It uh, solidified our position as an SEC East contender, considering that Georgia beat Auburn, upset Auburn. Ugh. Georgia has to have looked at that scoreboard and thought, here we go. This is We're going to win the East now. I want to take that stupid sweater off Auburn's coach and use it to choke him to death. How did they lose this game and so handily? Oh, uh, God, it makes me so angry. It's the... I, a couple of things. I was glad an SEC East team beat a strong SEC West team because the I SEC guess that's West the is one silver lining from this. The national media has just been sucking the cock of the SEC West as a unit for a long time, and, and you know, rightfully so. They're really strong, but they do it in a way that makes you think that the East is completely awful. Yeah, if if, if they're um, you know going down on the West, they're raping us with a dry mop handle on the East. <laughs> and the thing is, both SEC East contenders. Uh, pulled out or made a better case for their resume by beating a West team Absolutely. this week, a ranked West team. Absolutely. So, fuck you, SEC West. Well, you know, I think people make a point that we hadn't been ranked because ah, we lost to Indiana and we hadn't beat a top 25 team. But that was a current top 25 team because people forget that South Carolina was ranked when we beat them. And now, surely Texas A&M is going to fall out of the top 25. But don't forget, they were ranked when we beat them. So it's not mm-hmm. as if Missouri hasn't played just complete slobs. Now, granted, their schedule under- has been favorable. Mm-hmm. I will not dis- disagree with that. We, you know, back-to-back games against Kentucky and Vanderbilt. I don't think anybody would argue is kind of a sweetheart deal. But uh, you know, we have played some decent teams, and we have beat those teams for the most part, other than Georgia. And we always look at it from the perspective of the now. But if I were to ask you at the beginning of the season, say after Week One, when Texas A&M rolled over South Carolina, who was then highly regarded, and I would have told you Missouri's going to beat Texas A&M, would you even believe me? Well, you, we're going to beat both those teams. Yeah. South Carolina <laughs> and Texas A&M are two football powerhouses, button heads, and Missouri's going to beat both of them. At the beginning of the season, you would have taken that with a bullet. If I'd have told you we're going to beat South Carolina, Florida, Texas A&M, and we're going to beat all of them on the road, I think any Mizzou fan would have said, yes, I will take that deal. I have an erection just with you saying it out loud right now. So, And that, I think that's what happened after this game was we've looked at this season as kind of a bad team, and then after the big win where we didn't look bad at all, here we sit 8-2, and 5-1 and one in conference, and we think that's not the record of a bad team. That's a good team. and uh, That's not what we have. We have a good team and a bad quarterback. That's what we have right now, in my opinion. And we do have a young team, and that explains a lot of the penalties because the penalties are shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit. But at the same time, we've survived that, and uh, there's even a lot of talk about Gary Pinkle having the coaching year of his life because he's having some of the same success he had last year but with a much lesser team. Yeah, um, I don't want Gary Pinkle to get attention. That's My biggest fear is that someone will come pluck him away because I feel like Gary Pinkle is the only coach who could have this level of success success and not go eyeing other jobs. And I sit there and looking at Florida, getting ready to get rid of that dumbass must champ. And I don't want them to look in Gary Pinkle's direction. I don't want to start batting their eyes at Gary Pinkle. So everybody just cool down on the Gary Pinkle praise. Okay. We all know he's a good coach. Just shut up about it. My hope is that there's enough folks out there who would be good coaches that have Florida resumes that have some tie to the Florida program that they wouldn't think about Pinkle. But I agree. I know what you're saying. So anyway, I, I'm walking out of this win, eyes towards Tennessee 
much happier, much more confident than I was a week ago, or really the rest of the season. And you know what? The running game and the special teams, special teams didn't play very well, but the running game and the defense in particular both looked really good. And those are and because of Matty Mock's play this week, I am more optimistic because I feel like rather than is Matty Mock going to ruin it for us, it's kind of like Matty Mock might you know, even help a little bit at times if he plays like he did this last week. I mean, he's not certainly going to win the game for you. You can't put it on his shoulders. You can't depend on him. You will lose if you do that. If your game plan is built that way, you will fucking fail. But if you rely on your running game and you rely on your defense and Matty Mock gets out of his own way, then we are a competitive football team and should be able to beat Tennessee. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is Josh Henson has found a way to work around Matty Mock's faults as an offensive coordinator, and that's a good thing for the Tigers. So I think we should wrap it up. Uh, I think that about covers it. It was a good, good day for the Tigers. Absolutely. And uh, we're going into Tennessee. It's our last road game of the year, a big one. Tennessee's finding its stride. They're playing a lot better, but they are a flawed team as well. We win that one. We come back to a wild madhouse at Faroe to play our final game at Arkansas. So uh, we're going to come back with some Kansas news, important goings-on going on in Kansas. But until then, uh, we're going to take a break. So uh, you're listening to the Mazzotcast. Stop! Don't throw that used cell phone away. Sell it to Midmo iFix. Midmo iFix buys and sells used cell phones that include a 30-day warranty. So if you lost your phone overboard, the screen's cracked, or the phone's broken, stop into Midmo iFix and see Kevin. And if you have no use for that old phone, turn it into cash. Midmo iFix, located next to Emo's Pizza on Osage Beach Parkway. 573-694-8795. Midmo iFix. Phones fixed fast. Three kinds of suns in Kansas. Sunshine, sunflowers, sons of bitches. Fuck Kansas. (laughs) And we're back, and you know that sound. It means it's time for Kansas news. Everybody's favorite segment, including mine. You know, and as deep as we get into the football season, it's important that we don't forget, however Missouri's doing, however close we are to a title, we should always look at what Kansas is up to, because they're a wacky group. Yeah, and um, no matter... um, what Missouri does, they're always better than Kansas. I think that's the that's the real not just, moral of the story for Kansas. Not just as a football team, but just as people. They're better humans. As on a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a lot of news here, Colin, but the first few stories I think you might notice a trend as I read them. So just listen intently and see if you can find out what exactly is going on that, that ties it all together. I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> the first story comes to us from WIBW out of Topeka. Firefighters say Central Topeka fire was intentionally set. A fire that ripped through a vacant two-story building in Central Topeka was intentionally set, said the fire department of Topeka. Firefighters could see smoke and fire coming from a structure in West 12th Street when they arrived at 11 p.m. on Monday. They believed it started in the first floor on the northeast corner of the structure. Although the fire caused significant damages, firefighters managed to contain it to that building alone. They estimate that the loss from damages were about $30,000. No firefighters were hurt fighting the blaze. Anyone with information can call Crime Stoppers. So, okay. Nothing too particular other than Kansas is full of arsonists. You know? Sure, so, sure. I mean, we all, we all knew that probably. Insurance fraud, I assume. Mm-hmm. So, let's see. Uh, here's an, a different article. See if you can notice any similarities. Fire causes $125,000 to a Topeka home. Blaze reported 11 p.m. on Monday. 
A fire of undetermined origin late Monday caused $125,000 damage to a Southwest Topeka home. The blaze was reported at 11.05 on West McAllister Street. Upon arrival, fire crews reported heavy fire and smoke coming from the back of the home. First arriving crews were able to make an interior attack of the blaze and it was quickly extinguished. Topeka fire investigator said preliminary investigations indicated that the fire was caused intentionally. So the estimated loss was between $100,000 to structure and $25,000 to its contents. Um, the initial response to the blaze were three engines, one truck company and one aerial company, and two battle and battalion chiefs. The blaze on McAllister occurred about three hours after crews responded to a pair of intentionally set fires in central Topeka. So there's an arsonist in Topeka. Another Topeka fire intentionally set. Investigators are now saying a third fire in Topeka was intentionally set. Firefighters were responded to an apartment fire in McVicker Avenue at 4.30 p.m. When they got there, they could see smoke coming from the first floor. Firefighters put out the flames and kept it to the apartment. They then ventilated the neighborhood apartments to clear them of smoke. Now, this isn't Lawrence, but did a zombie of Quantrell come back to life? That's Perhaps. a great question. I never even considered <laughs> it. You know what I mean? It's like, is, it somebody, is, is the zombie of Quantrell trying to burn down Kansas again? It, it is a high possibility. It's either that or a raving lunatic who is just of the average Kansas citizen variety who loves setting fires. A sexual arsonist. The interesting thing to me, this is three straight articles of fires that were intentionally set, and they're all to homes or apartments. They're all residences. So are they getting into other people's homes, or is this three independent Kansas residents setting their place on fire? My guess is it's their answer to uh, estate planning, where they just set their home on fire and uh, collect the insurance money. I don't know. But anyway... I read it. I was looking for Kansas news, as I so often do, and I, I just thought, is this the same article? People talking about this one home on fire? No. It's a bunch of homes. I guess my question is, is um, has the police department even begin to connect the dots here? <laughs> like, did they? I mean, I realize that you've identified that there were three, <laughs> that there were three fires in Topeka all intentionally set. Um, but has the police department? Maybe we should send them a tip because I think you're right. I don't know if they have the mental capacity to put together these clues. I don't either. But I sometimes I imagine the Topeka Police Department being like a Benny Hill skit where there's a bunch of monkeys like jumping on desks going <laughs> and throwing bananas at one another in human excrement. Oh, see, I was thinking of them more as a Dukes of Hazard situation where they're <laughs> driving around fruitlessly chasing locals with a basset hound in the back of their car. Yeah, that's probably right. Either or way, a basset hound in the back of the car or as we know it, a Kansas safe. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, uh, they're not putting together these clues and doing any real detective work. So no, uh, no. we're going to call them in to the Topeka uh, Police Department. We'll do as soon as the show's over. Tell them our detective work ourselves and maybe help these folks out. They could use it. They're Duke boys. <laughs> okay, so here's a different type of article, but we're going back to Topeka. It's been a busy weekend, the city of Topeka. Uh, this is a story about haunted places in Topeka. The city of Topeka, known for its cutthroat politics, Capitol Dome tours, and and you know what else? The paranormal. And by cutthroat politics, they mean in Topeka, the crazy rube politicians will literally cut in one of their throats. It's not. This isn't like a hyperbole or, or. No, I think most politicians do carry switchblades into the Capitol building. Yeah, in Topeka, yeah. Just in case they need to make. Well, they're an not extra allowed to take their rifles in. So, Is that right? Yeah, that very so, much surprises me. Yeah, so they all have switchblades. Okay, well. This article goes on to say that ghosts are all around us. There are many haunted locations. <laughs> this is, by the way, Kansas First News. This is not some sort of weird paranormal. It is weird and paranormal, but it's from a legitimate outlet in Kansas if there is such a thing. So it says there are many haunted locations. They have different kinds of ghosts, different kinds of history, said Kathy Ramirez, a tour guide who gives ghost tours in Topeka. 
Topeka was founded in 1854. With that comes 160 years of history, and in their opinion, 160 years of ghosts. It's a year-round thing. If there are ghosts, which I think there are, they're not waiting around for one month of the year, said Sean Christensen, who took the ghost tour. Yeah, I can see how he'd be pissed that people would only think oh, about God. ghosts during Halloween. Ridiculous. There's a lot of July ghosts. That's a slap in the face. It really is. What about those January ghosts? I know. I thing that shocks me about all these dumbasses who can believe in Sasquatch and ghosts and angels and whatever. And maybe I... You're talking about Kansas citizens. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like for so many people looking so hard for them over the past, let's just say the last hundred years, mm-hmm. no one has been able to produce one credible piece of evidence to support their claims that any of these things exist. You think and in yet the era of just buying wholeheartedly? You think in the era of uh, smartphones and cameras, more now than now more than ever. Brendan, I'm listen. I can't get away with masturbating in public anymore. In the mm-hmm. last decade. I mean, it's just gone. It's just dried up. No, I mean, I think you go on YouTube and you search Colin masturbating. It's a, you know, it's a plethora (laughs) of of videos. Take your pick on that. That being said, you know, am I to believe that just in the last decade where cell phone photography has become so prevalent that no one has managed to get a picture of a ghost? Sasquatch, Lost Mex monster. Uh, Let's let's try it again. I think we both fucked up. (laughs) Loch Ness monster, a UFO, or any of the other. You know things that everybody's. I do believe about. in anal probes. I don't know that they're necessarily <laughs> yeah, they're aliens. Not, they're not. They're not. They're not. They, they're, they may also be Kansas citizens. No, you can absolutely. I mean, they're they're a big part of where I work. If you mm-hmm. come to where I work, um, it's called Mister Chin's House of Sexual Pleasures. Mm-hmm. That's where that's my day job. Right. And you walk in the door. Actually, so fans of the show, if you want to come see me at work, um, just walk in the front door. Um, ask for the human toilet. Mm-hmm. And they'll get you right to me. And uh, You earned that nickname, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I work really hard. And um, so anyway, but that anal probing there is you pay top dollar for it is mm-hmm. the reason I bring it up. Do you require that they – well, that would be bad advertising if you told them to tell people that it was an alien who had done that to them. No, I mean there's some people that are into that. We'll put on masks and stuff. But mm-hmm. no, I mean it's not obviously. Yeah. All right. Well, that's – I think we've gone yeah, off topic, right? yeah. yeah, but, but it, it's good to know about Mr. Chins. Um, so I'd like them to maybe become a sponsor of our show. You know, I'll talk to Mr. Chin. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, anyway, let's go on with this article. It's very interesting. All the ghost talk seems a little crazy, says the article. I would say a lot crazy, but however, the people on her tour are pretty open-minded. No, I'm not skeptical. When my father passed, we could feel it when he left, said Christensen. And suspicion of paranormal... Mostly activity. because he usually had her hand, his hands on her blouse. And so when he died, they were no longer there. And so we felt it when he left. That's another... Yeah, that's a different form of activity. <laughs> yeah. that she brings that up. Uh, let's see. That kind of activity, what like what happened with her father, is all over Topeka, she said. <laughs> the Capitol building, it's beautiful and a majestic building, but a lot of people don't realize how many people died during its construction. Yeah, well... I would, I would imagine that's true. I mean, it, we get standards aren't the same in Kansas. As no, far as I, I OSHA imagine, requirements. Yeah, I think we had an article uh, much earlier in the season about um, a man being crushed by a tank. Um, yeah, and it's, they talk about <laughs> it happening with some frequency. So I feel like regulations are probably they play a little fast and loose. Yeah, a little loosely regarded. So at least nine people fell to their deaths during the Capitol's construction. Wow, at least nine. So they, if, I was that tenth, if I was that tenth guy, I'd feel a little bad. I didn't even get uh, counted in their old register of people who fell to their death. They're building this Capitol building. The interesting thing, it's one story tall. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, some nights, workers say they hear footsteps and hammering in the empty buildings. I would think if workers fell to their death, there would be less hammering noises and more... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let me tell you this. I feel like this is a building uh, where the heads of government mm-hmm. are for Kansas are at. And just from being around the state capitol here in Missouri a little bit, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in those buildings at night. You're talking about po- politicians, uh, typically rich white men, and lots of young interns. There's a lot of hammering going on in state buildings. That's right. It is not with a hammer, and it's certainly not been done by ghosts. It's being done by 60-something-year-old white, fat men. Yeah, and it makes a little less of a clanging noise. <laughs> and more of a flap, 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 flap. <laughs> fat, fat, now, fat. fat. <laughs> you hear this noise in the state capitol. You know exactly what's going on, and it has nothing to do with ghosts. Well, I think it's that noise also muffled by the, <laughs> the, the silent tears of uh, interns who had daddy issues. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so another haunted building, Jayhawk Tower. In the alley besides it, pictures have been taken with apparitions appearing in the background. Haven't mm, seen any of these anywhere. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. Colin mentioned that. I uh, bet they're not really clear. I bet they're kind of blurry in the background, way off in the and probably could, could be, be easily be. explained by any other format. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But here, sure, go ahead. Uh, the Moose Lodge. It's investigated probably 10 times, and it's one of those locations where you get something every single time. What is that something? She doesn't go into it. I would think a yeah. fat guy eating a chicken wing. Yeah. Um, that's not paranormal. <laughs> and let's not forget George, the ghost who workers claim haunts the downtown Quiznos. <laughs> well, the Quiznos certainly fits the, uh, the, <laughs> the theme here. I think she may be um, mistaken. There's a guy named George who goes to Quiznos a lot. He's not a ghost. <laughs> yeah. That's just her really wanting her to be ghost. <laughs> yeah. It's just a white guy. Who, it, you know what? Maybe a clan member. There's a lot of those in Kansas. Yes. Yeah, exactly. He's wearing white robes. He comes into Quiznos at least he twice. He loves a week. sandwiches. He's actually like CPA, though. You know what I mean? He's not a ghost. He's, he's just a guy. He's just a guy in a hood. Yeah. You know, typical Kansas he's resident. He's a guy full of hate. <laughs> she says, though, if you are scared of ghosts, she insists that most Topeka ghosts are pretty friendly. If it's a <laughs> if it's a bad person who did naughty things when they were alive, they're probably going to be a negative type of energy and do naughty things when they're ghosts. But for the most part, these are harmless. So. Um, I just like to clarify, I am not at all afraid of ghosts because they don't exist. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. I have a fucking brain and I realize that they are not real. But, um, you know, for those of uh, you that are, do believe in ghosts, um, I hope I never meet you mm-hmm. because I, I, I pretty well can go out of limits. I'm not going to like you much. <laughs> and so go back to reading your astrological sign and what it's going to mean for your Friday. And, um, Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I hope all our listeners are avid non-believers in ghosts. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, speaking of uh, bad guys doing bad things, man arrested in uh, Selena for sending sexually explicit picture to a teen girl. Selena Mann was arrested Wednesday and request uh, on a requested charge of promoting obscenity after sending a sexually explicit picture of himself to a 16-year-old girl and that was a... Former coworker. God, I hope this isn't against the law, Missouri. But go on. <laughs> I mean, so you've heard. Uh, let's see. I mean, I've got some friends who. Yeah, yeah, they mean, yeah, that's right. Friends. <laughs> Police Captain Chris Trocek said 25 year old Jonathan Lewis allegedly sent an unsolicited picture of himself naked to a girl via Facebook when she was at school on Tuesday. Police were notified of the incident by the girl and her father, who I'm sure was pleased with this oh, guy. Boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So, uh, yeah, he. He thought, I assume it's a junk photo because these guys tend yeah. to think chicks oh, yeah. really want to see pictures of their dork. Yeah. Um, hey, Dad, check out this guy. He sent me a picture of his dog. He's nine years older than me. He uh, he works with me, so you know he's a real – he's on the up and up when I'm 16 year old. Yeah. When I'm co-workers. 16, yeah. <sighs> and uh, anyway, he's 25 and works at the same Quiznos, I assume, uh, 
for McDonald's. So great job, Selena man. Uh, and well, it, it strikes me as like, what precipitated this picture? Were they literally just talking about completely innocent things? And he's just like, here's a picture of McDonald's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, did you see Interstellar? No, I haven't seen it yet. Are you going to see it? I think I might. Dong pick. Here's my dick. <laughs> I... I um, I, if, if you're listening at home, Selena man who loves to show his dork to 16-year-olds, go ahead and tweet that photo of us. We'd like to know what uh, what your frame of mind was and what you got, what you're packing down there, what the yeah. heat's like. So yeah. uh, we encourage you to do so at Mazodcast. Yeah. All right. So that's a that's a good one. Uh, I think this is a mysterious tone. This this Kansas news segment has been. So I'm going to finish with this one. Mysterious boom heard in Selena. About 24 hours after an earthquake was felt in Selena, people from various parts of the city reported hearing a loud booming sound Thursday. Selena police and fire department reps said several people have had called to inquire about the noise, but as of Thursday evening, the cause was not known. The U- U.S. Geological Survey website reported that no earthquake activity was at the time, and the Smoky Hills bombing range reported no activity there either. Uh, there is a bombing range. You heard that right. There is a bombing range nearby this town. Obviously. A West Star Energy rep said that there have been no transformer explosions near Selena either. So some people posting online said their houses shook when they heard the boom, and some described it as sounding like a car had hit their house. So, uh, I, Colin, open I, to speculation? I feel like this is what has happened here is um, the earthquake has really thrown people off. This is a sound that they probably wouldn't have been concerned with. They assume somebody's shooting off their fifty caliber weapon in their backyard. That so often happens. Uh, yeah, and they're just like, it's Kansas. Lots of us have large, large weaponry that's borderline illegal, mm-hmm. and uh, we're firing it off. And I think that's probably what happened. And Obviously. because of the earthquake, they're just associating like, oh, a, a, a gas line exploded or something. No, it's just your typical Kansas resident firing a giant firearm. Midair. For no reason. <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I think we solved that case. So. His son got into barber college. He's celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that Kansas and Iraq often compete for the world record in shooting firearms into the air. Wow. I really didn't feel like Iraq could even compete, but is there, mm-hmm. I guess they're closer than you thought. Yeah. there's a <laughs> <laughs> so I would have thought. Probably the more important Kansas news of the day came at, uh, at Lawrence, Kansas, at their football stadium, because uh, they almost did something unheard of, which is pull off an upset victory against a top-five ranked opponent. Yeah, number five, TCU. Uh, the Horned Frogs went into Lawrence and nearly got beat. <laughs> Unbelievably so. Thankfully, they were playing Kansas, and they had who has, who has there's no better team at pulling defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> yeah. And uh, TCU was able to escape with a 34 to 30 win. And there's been a lot of talk whether TCU belongs in the top four playoff picture above Baylor, mind you, who has beaten TCU. Yeah, uh, that that that's an argument that we had. Um, with the television a lot, me and you, is that why is everyone giving TCU so much credit and giving Baylor zero credit when Baylor beat TCU in a heads-up contest? I, I don't. I just don't understand it. The, the, the writers, the playoff people, they insist on saying TCU looks better, is better, has a better schedule than Baylor. Baylor beat them. Why do we play games <laughs> yeah. if, if they don't matter? Like yeah. if, if the head-to-head matchup doesn't matter, what the fuck matters? Yeah. And on top of that, what could I, I, I understand, Brennan, using the eye test, quote-unquote eye test, as a measurement device in lieu of wins. But when you have a head-to-head matchup where one team won and the other team did not, well, what the fuck do we need the eye test for? And speaking of eye tests, I don't know what fucking 2020 vision TCU has. They almost got beat by fucking Kansas. The one funny thing about this game that tickled me is – so, Brendan had uh, tweeted something about 
the uh, Kansas game, and I hadn't been watching it, and so I decided to switch over to that game, and um, they were up. They were. I, oh, and forgive me, I don't remember the score at the time, but like a like, oh, like ten or something, yeah, like two like twenty six seventeen. Yeah, I was like, like Jesus, what's going on here? I literally went in the kitchen for like I'm going to say eight minutes to like do whatever. I came back and it was thirty four like twenty seven. TCU was up. I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. it literally lasted for a second. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kansas was like, oh no, we might win a big game, and let's not do that. What gets me is if they would have won this at Lawrence, do you again in back to back weeks? Paired on the goalpost because this literally would have been a circumstance where that would have been okay. I was thinking about that and I was very <laughs> concerned because there were, a, my guess, five to six hundred people in that stadium watching the big game. Yeah, and could if, they get the goalpost down? Could they get the goalpost down? Would enough people rush the field? The only hope that they would have is so many of them are morbidly obese they could use their weight <laughs> against the goalpost. Really, I think you discount how many Kansas. Uh, Fans maybe carrying a grappling hook um, <laughs> to pull down, the, or they could just use their shotguns and just shoot at the base of the goalpost. <laughs> exactly, just shoot at the base until it falls over on its own, then carry it to wherever. Um, the interesting thing here is that Kansas's uh, interim coach filling in with Charlie Weiss has done a far better job with this team than Charlie Weiss ever had. Yeah, that's pretty. That's even in loss. Yeah, I mean, even in loss, they were much more competitive. I think Charlie Weiss is just a notorious dick bag, and he's much better playing a. Um, secondary role to a head coach than being a head coach himself. I think he's just too grating <laughs> to be uh, the guy in charge. Much like there, we mentioned about Mangino as well. He is awfully good at pounding a six foot hoagie. Yeah, so yeah. Um, he does have that going for him. But it never translates to wins. No. I mean, Kansas tries it over and over again. But anyway, that'll do it for Kansas news. I think, Colin, we're going to uh, take another break here and come back. We're going to talk about the other games in the SEC because there's a lot of shakeups going on and uh, a lot of interesting. Things happen that some of them affect the Tigers, some of them definitely affect the playoffs. So uh, we'll be back. You're listening to the Mazodcast. And we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit about what happened in the SEC this week. Of course, Missouri's big win against Texas A&M vaulted them to number 19 in the AP poll, number 20 in the coaches poll. But there are a lot of other exciting games. Uh, the, let's talk about the big one up front, I guess. We, we rarely do that, but we probably should. Mississippi State, number one team in the country, played number five, Alabama, at Alabama. And uh, it ended up being a close game, but at the beginning, it did not look like it was going to be. Alabama rolled off the first 19 points of the game and uh, ended up winning by 25 to 20 to even them with Mississippi State at 9-1 and one and take a head-to-head lead in the SEC West uh, division. That's theirs to lose now. Alabama's in the driver's seat. Yeah, I, had, I changed the channel for this game. This initially was what I was watching um, because... You know, what a great matchup, number one, uh, Mississippi State against Alabama. And, yeah, Alabama was just rolling. I was like, well, this is not going to be a game. You know, Mississippi State has basically wet the bed and uh, uh, nothing to see here. And then I switched back a little later and thought, holy crap, this is a ball game. Yeah. And, you know, Mississippi State is good. So, I I mean, the fact that they came back should not be surprising. They did make it a game, but ultimately Alabama was ready to play. Their defense held strong, and they pulled off the 25-20 to win. I think Mississippi State had to convince themselves that they could do this before they really got rolling. It's like the first part of the game, they were just nervous. It's Alabama. We've you know, traditionally been owned by these guys, and there was just that bully uh, thing about it. You know, and they, just, they had to get over that before they you know, shook loose and like, no, we can play with these guys. And um, I think if uh, these two teams were to play again, you might see a very different ball game. Mississippi State having a little more confidence going directly into the ballgame. Yeah. Or maybe I'm wrong. Who fucking knows? Yeah, well, 
who fucking cares? The game is over. Alabama is in the driver's seat in the West, so if we end up making it to Atlanta, all things holding as they are now, we'd have to be playing Alabama. Yep. So anyway, uh, next game of consequence was number five. Auburn, I'm sorry, number nine, Auburn versus number 15, Georgia. Unfortunately for the Tigers, who are very much hoping for Auburn to pull the win off in this game, Georgia beat the shit out of Auburn, 34-7. to It was never in doubt. This was not a game um, at all. And I was really... I was like, yeah, you know, Georgia's getting a lot of love right now, but let them go, let them go lock horns with Auburn. Let them go love that. But again, I think this is a circumstance where we're giving too much credit to the West and not enough credit to the East. That's right. Georgia and Auburn were tied after the first quarter, and then Georgia proceeded to shut them out the rest of the game. 34-7 was the final score. Auburn, uh, I'm sorry, Georgia thought probably for a long time that they were going to take over control of the East as uh, Missouri and A&M were going back and forth, mm-hmm. and it was in A&M. And they, their only record, our memory of us, is beating the shit out of us, 34 to nothing at home. So they were probably shocked when they saw Missouri beat A&M, and we're just like a fly in their ointment right I now. would think so. And uh, another big story coming out of that game is Todd Gurley tore his ACL. That is true. If Todd Gurley would have been better off if they would have just kept him suspended the rest of the season and just went into the NFL draft. This is like the worst possible outcome. Uh, I feel bad for that guy because really? I don't really fault him at all for signing those damned autographs. They don't get paid a lick, and he's a hell of a player. And then this happens. I mean... I'm rooting for him in the NFL draft. It really hurts his season, though. And, and Auburn's in good shape because they still got Nick Chubb, who looks like a world beater. Gurley Gurley's not a senior, though. No, he is not a senior, but he can declare for the draft this year. Exactly. I'm assuming, assuming that – you think he'll declare for the draft after an ACL? I would think he'll rehab, go back, and try to improve his draft stock. And, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I don't know what you do if you're Todd Gurley because I've always felt if you're a college player – Every game you go out there, you risk ending your career. It's not like basketball. Yeah. And so the second I have a chance to get drafted in the NFL, I take that chance. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you play the odds. You can get more money. You can get a better draft, draft position. I'm just looking at this. A, it's a 12-month injury. It's an ACL. So, yeah. um, boy, it, I mean, you won't even be ready for the combine, for the draft. I mean, you won't, you won't – they will literally have your tape from the first few games, and then they'll have nothing else to go on in your – I feel – Maybe that's enough. I don't know. You know, yeah. I'm not a scout. I don't. Maybe what they see on tape, like it's worth it because this guy's that good. If we, if his AC, you know, ACL reconstructions are not what they used to be. I mean, people are getting ACL injuries all the time and come back and be absolutely dominant beasts. Jamal Charles, Adrian Peterson, both of which were probably the two most dominant running backs in the NFL, both have had torn ACLs. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough decision for Gurley. I feel bad for him. Uh, the only good thing is that he is still, at some point, if he plays his card right, likely to be a, an NFL draft pick and be much richer than you or I. Well, I'll tell you this. Georgia is going, you know, that's tough luck because they have Nick Chubb, and he yeah. is a fucking man-beast. And they, he's a freshman man-beast. They, they love giant running backs in Georgia, and they seem to be thick with them. So another interesting game for a little bit different reason. South Carolina played Florida. It was bizarre. It, uh, it was at the Swamps, I think, and... and Florida literally threw the game away to South Carolina. <laughs> it was so bad after South Carolina pulled off the win in overtime, which it should have never gone to. Steve Spurrier was interviewed and he said, yeah, I feel real bad for coach Muschamp. And I think he regretted it the second it came out of his mouth because it did not come out as him sounding gregar- or, you know, magnanimous, tried, yeah. magnanimous to the interviewer. It sounded like even he knew the writing was on the wall. Yeah. Muschamp was fucking toast after that game. And he was, what I can't understand is why are they keeping him on? They basically signed his death warrant and then say, now coach the next two games. If I were him, and maybe it's probably something to do with money, I'd be like, you know what, guys? Middle finger. I'm out of here. I or, think they don't want to do a midseason coaching 
surge. They just, I don't know. I don't and know. I mean, I guess from the standpoint of him, he probably just want to leave the kids high and dry. I mean, yeah. those kids are something. He's not going him. to be coaching the bowl game should they make one, they said. He will coach through the end of the regular season and then he'll be done. I don't know. I don't know. It it's a weird no way to go. Sense. We all knew this was going to happen. We just didn't know when. And uh, we thought maybe the Missouri game was a nail in the coffin, but there's been a lot of nails in his coffin, and the oh. South Carolina one turned out to be it. I just figured Florida has such a storied program that they would not tolerate this sort of performances. And I would, like he would have never made it for the full season. They would never handle it this way. I feel like they'd just be out for blood because they had such high expectations. But they have seemed to be more than patient with with Muschamp. Turns out the, the the real thing they couldn't take was they do not like being beaten by Steve Spurrier. They're no old. one likes that. Well, no and one no that. one, especially Florida. Spurrier won the Heisman Trophy with Florida. He won the national championship as their coach. And then he comes and he kicks their ass for South Carolina. That, that's not a fun fun day for Florida fans. No. So anyway, he's gone. Florida that's, has not had a lot of fun days the last couple of years. I sure haven't. <laughs> uh, Missouri, thankfully, has been able to benefit at their expense. Speaking of Missouri, a game that has a lot of significance for them, Tennessee beat Kentucky 50-16 to last week. That's scary. Uh, Tennessee has found a new quarterback. They found their stride. They're 5-5. Five and five. They're a very flawed team, but they're playing their best football of the season right now, and we have to go right in to Neyland Stadium and, and try to beat them on the road. Well, I hate that they're finding their offensive stride, obviously, but I feel like um, there's a world's difference between Missouri's defense and Kentucky's defense. I agree wholeheartedly. I just wish that they. I wish. I almost wish this were a chip shot going into the Arkansas game. Yeah, but it is absolutely not. Up. Yeah, it's not. Well, it's probably good. Should we come out of here and win at Tennessee and beat Arkansas, we'll have been glad that we went through a little bit of a gauntlet rather mm-hmm. than just having chip shots all the way. But yeah. I'm scared now. I certainly don't want to overlook Tennessee, but I feel at least moderately confident with the way the offense is playing, the way the defense has been all season, that we're going to be okay here. We I can said stop that before Indiana. Yeah, yeah. I said that before Indiana. Like, this is a tune-up game, I called it, I believe. Um, and then we got beat. So I ended up being a trap game. Yeah, I should not. I'm putting my foot squarely in my fucking mouth, probably. But um, Arkansas, to me, is the real, the real problem with us winning out. <laughs> Arkansas had their first SEC win under Brett Belima against Number seventeen LSU, who uh, got shut out seventeen to nothing. It was a huge win for Arkansas. It was a seventeen-game SEC skid, and they finally broke it. Only good thing is I'm glad they didn't break it against us. Yeah, but they uh, they looked good in beating t- LSU, who's now flailing after a couple well, losses. The one thing I'll say about Arkansas is they seem to be getting gradually better. I feel like Arkansas is not going to be this way for very much longer, much to the chagrin of the Missouri Tigers. But um, the one thing that scares me about this more than anything is just that they held LSU to zero points because our offense is certainly not our long suit. You know, when you talk about Tennessee scoring 50, that doesn't scare me as much as Arkansas only giving up zero points. Yeah, to LSU. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas all year long, they're not the best teams in it. They're, you know, a couple of the worst teams in the SEC, but they all look like they're getting better as opposed to a Florida or a Vanderbilt. They're all getting better. They're all on the verge of, of a – Bull birth, you know, as bad as they seem to look in the SEC, they've all got five wins, and they can all, which means that every time they play Missouri, it means a bowl game, you yep. know. So they have something to play for, which I don't like. Yeah, no doubt. So anyway, that's what happened last week in the SEC. A lot of now that we're getting close to the end, a With lot of us are losing to Georgia, and LSU losing to Arkansas. Thank God Alabama beat Mississippi State, or Paul Feinbaum might have put a gun in his mouth <laughs> and blown those fucking ears right off his head. I don't know if I'm that thankful for that. <laughs>
So uh, let's see. We have some interesting matchups coming up next week. The SEC schedule has been bizarre this year because they started out. Is it bizarre? I mean, we haven't been in the SEC long enough for me to know how SEC schedules go. But, yeah, I know what you're alluding to. Go ahead. Well, what I'm alluding to is that a lot of these teams started out with really big matchups early on in the season. And what that results in is they have some of their cupcake games now at this point in the season where Mizzou is done with their Toledos and their South Dakota States. Auburn will be playing Samford, not Stanford, Samford. The television home. show from the late 70s, early 80s. <laughs> right. No word if the Suns are coming along. Georgia <laughs> will be playing the University of Charleston Southern. South Carolina will be playing South Alabama. Alabama will be playing West Carolina. Jesus. Florida will be playing East Kentucky. This is November, folks. No wonder. I've, the SEC Network, their, you know, their travel and road show is going to Missouri, Tennessee. And I thought, wow, that's we're going. Missouri, Three Tennessee weeks. is getting the uh, – Getting the 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 premier spot on the SEC network or whatever it is. Oh well, nobody else is playing anybody. <laughs> yeah, as big of a matchups as they had this week. That this next week's matchups are shit. Uh, Missouri has been getting a lot of attention from the SEC Nation Roadshow uh, the last three weeks, so it will be a good one. Tennessee versus Missouri. Uh, the East is on the line for Missouri. They control their own destiny, but they do have to win out in order to beat Georgia, who has the head-to-head advantage over them. The other in-conference matchup that's interesting: number one Mississippi State. Well, formerly no, no, number one Mississippi State. No, 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 no. What the hell? It's not not number one. Anymore. Yeah, I'm sorry that my website has not been updated. Mississippi State, one of the top teams in the country, will be playing Vanderbilt. So it's a nine and one versus a three and seven. I think we can pretty much put that in the bank for Mississippi State. And uh, Mississippi State has to be careful because they lost Alabama, and that's a good loss. And they were competitive in that game, and they are still very much alive in the playoff picture. for the playoff picture. But you know, if they they cannot get complacent. Because one more loss, and they will be completely blown out of the water. And then it'll mean only one team from the SEC in the playoff altogether. guess who that'll be? (laughs) It won't be Mississippi State. It'll be the Tide. In fact, you know, next week the only other SEC matchup besides the two we mentioned are going to be Arkansas at 5-5 versus number 10 Ole Miss Mm -hmm. at at Arkansas, by the way. I wonder if Arkansas is getting anywhere close in the minds of uh, the pundits out there to getting the top 25. Even after being LSU, I mean, uh, the record just too poor. I suppose they're five and five. There's yeah. no chance of it. There's, there's too many teams that are sitting at seven and three, eight and two. Yeah, but Alabama certainly is going to get that consideration over everybody else for that playoff spot. So Mississippi State's got to be careful. I think maybe part of it is that people who make those sorts of decisions with the polls probably literally fear physical retribution from Nick Saban. If that wasn't the case, <laughs> he seems like just the, the angriest person on the planet. He I, he scares me a little bit. Let me know. ask you, Colin. Would you rather see Arkansas beat Alabama and then us have to face them? Or do you want to see Alabama just whip up on Arkansas and, and destroy them I, I, psychologically? Sometimes you feel like, well, if they win big, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll overlook Missouri, your trap game, whatever you want to call it. I think in this case I'd rather just Arkansas spirit be broken by a fucking drumming. For Alabama, but I may be wrong. That may just make them all that more emboldened to ruin Mizzou's season. Um, I think that's really what you're going to be the motivating factor for any team playing Mizzou from this point forward. You mentioned the bowl games, but I think as much as anything is that everybody's going to know that this Mizzou team is trying to win the East. And like, let's take a big shit in their mess kit. Let's not let them win this game. <laughs> and uh, I think that's going to be most people's motivation playing Mizzou. So let's just let's ruin their season. Well, for next week, we do go up against Tennessee. Uh, Joshua Dobbs, the new quarterback for Tennessee, has been um, really good. He looks to really take advantage of the young talent that Tennessee has. A, a young team like Tennessee, they've had their struggles, but they're the kind of 
they're kind of a boom and bust team. And yeah. we've we got to make sure that our secondary is ready for him and our line is ready for their running game because they do run the ball a lot. Upwards uh, of 40 runs a game. Missouri has to do the same thing, I think, that they did last week against A&M. We've got to give the ball to Hansborough, let him just go crazy with it. And our offensive line has got to mature from a penalty standpoint and hold their yeah. place. If well, we do that and have a decent game from a special team standpoint, I think we can win this game. Well, what I'll say is that I if if it is the case that Tennessee's offense is really, really good, running Hansborough and Murphy is the best way to negate that. Keep the ball in their hands, you know, dominate the clock, and, and keep them off the field. Um, one thing I'll say about Dobbs is he has no fucking eyebrows, and it creeps me out super, like, a lot. It really creeps me out. He does look like a cone head without the cone head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really creepy. Go check it out, fans. He has zero <laughs> eyebrows. He looks like powder from them, them except obviously not white. <laughs> yeah, I can think of one distinguishing characteristic that does not look like powder. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I... <sighs> I think Missouri really can win this game. We have been accustomed, you know, we played against 104,000 fans at Texas A&M, at least at the beginning of the game. By the third, fourth quarter, there were maybe 10,000 Texas A&M fans. It was loud. I can I tell you that. As a, it's, as a fan listening to it on television, you could tell at times the announcers were literally having to raise their voices to project enough for you to be able to hear uh, what they were saying. And that's that's something that's usually been reserved for Seattle Seahawks or yeah. Kansas City Chiefs football games where you can literally hear the crowd so loudly. I mean, it was loud in that stadium, and you, I, Missouri didn't seem to miss a beat because of it. No, and, and you know. Well, I take that back. They did have a couple false stars. You know? I mean, maybe they missed <laughs> a couple beats, yeah. Well, it's going to be the case again in Neyland Stadium in uh, Tennessee because they're going to bring probably easily another 100,000 screaming Tennessee fans. Thankfully, Missouri doesn't seem to uh, buckle under those conditions. We win road games. No, We've, we sure do. And I think, you know, with noise and all and that, those rowdy environments, College football kind of lends itself to that from the standpoint of most of the stuff is being done via hand signals on the sideline. There's not a lot of audio inside helmets kind of thing. Offenses certainly are not complicated. They, they keep them simple for a reason. Um, these are a bunch of dumb kids, and they're very limited on how much practice time they're going to be able to get. So uh, the noise has a lot less effect on those teams. So they're not worried about snap counts as much. It's So those those – Rowdy environments probably don't affect the play as much in college, I think, as maybe they do in the NFL. Sure, and uh, at least it doesn't seem to affect the Tigers. Unfortunately, they've been very, very good on the road. Yeah, Missouri is great on the road. Just absolutely, I mean, what were we, 9-0 in their last road, uh, nine road games? Yeah. Um, I saw, I hate to even mention his name, Gabe Yarman, uh, tweet something about, you know, Matty Mock is 11-3 and in his starts and 9-0 and on the road in his starts, and that's got to be worth something. And, and I'm, as much as I hate to give... Uh, Gabe Diarman or Matty Mock, any credit of any kind. It's true. It, it is worth something. He has played well, and we have won games with him at the quarterback, and no one has been uh, harder on Matty Mock than me. Well, you know, I was going to say Matty Mock has been an enigma, and part of the enigma of Matty Mock is that you never know when he is going to play well. Conditions that seem absolutely perfect for him fucking up like at Texas A&M. Swirly winds and rain. <laughs> <laughs> and screaming 100,000 fans. He plays fine. Uh, 70,000 friendly fans at Columbia, Missouri, on a game I, where against a lesser opponent, he can't connect at all. So, I think it just points again to him being a rockhead. He doesn't understand the circumstances of the game. I mean, he doesn't understand the, the stage that he's on in Texas or in, in playing Texas A&M under 100,000 people. He just he, it doesn't register in him that he should be scared. You know what I mean? Or not, he shouldn't be scared, but you know what I mean? It, 
it doesn't seem to register. I feel like he's just oblivious sometimes. The, the gravity of the moment yeah, doesn't it, seem to affect just, him. It's lost on him. He's just blissfully we, ignorant. We'll <laughs> use that to our advantage going into the Tennessee game. So uh, unlike last week where we finished the show by saying how uh, pessimistic we are, I am cautiously optimistic going into this game. Yeah, which actually has voted poorly for us, um, Brendan, because it seems like every time we start to feel a little bit better about this team, they go and do something um, yeah. to break our hearts. The classic Missouri spirit. Um, <laughs> you know, before we finish the show, I think I'd be remiss of not at least bringing it up because even though this is dedicated to a football uh, program, the Missouri basketball team opened their uh, season this week. And I think it's notable because it's the beginning of the Kim Anderson era. Mm-hmm. And they started like a house on fire by getting beat at home by UMKC, yeah. the Kangaroos. And uh, But then they, they played Valparaiso Last night I was at the game and uh, and they won the game. They didn't look good. They looked what they are. They looked like a very young raw team with a lot of transfers and freshmen. Yeah. But you know, they, I I'm excited for Kim Anderson to have some success at Mizzou. I will tell you this about Ryan Rossberg, our big junior mm-hmm. uh, forward. He looks like he was made by scientists out of <laughs> out of part pillows, marshmallows in a cotton field. He is soft. That guy yeah. is. Soft. Every time I see a picture of him, I, I I start to I examine the picture closely for bolts in his neck. <laughs> he's he's a he's a nineteen twenty year old kid who is balding hard. Um, when he has the ball, if you touch him, he will drop the ball. He cannot go straight up with it. He much like a lot of Missouri forwards, it must be a tradition uh, in Missouri arena. They have to put the ball on the ground first, yeah, and then he can't go up straight with it. So, uh, you know, he's our he's our. I don't have a lot leadership. of. A lot of uh, excitement for this season for the Tigers. I feel like it's going to be a very growing year for the basketball team, and it's going to be there's going to be a lot of lumps. I do feel like Kim Anderson's a good coach. I do too, and, and I think it, it's good that there's not a lot of expectations he's no. got young players. He can mold them. He can he can add players around them in the seasons to come. I think with Kim Anderson, the biggest question is, can he recruit? Because I feel like he can coach. Yeah, and, that's um, right. And he's got Tim Fuller for you know, that. And that's, but that's not good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there was a coach at Nebraska for several years named Doc Sadler, who you know was universally respected as a great coach. But he could not recruit, and Nebraska was always terrible. And the talent they, they garnered was awful. Yeah. And um, so I don't want that to be a Kim Anderson situation. I want to make sure he gets players and, and, and wins a lot of ball games. Uh, I want Kim Anderson to succeed very badly. I'd like to see somebody who's got uh, Tiger Roots, roots to, to do well. Well, and all those questions will be answered in the seasons to come. But uh, you know, for now, uh, we'll hang with him while we're yeah. while they're young. I know that there's certainly a lot of enthusiasm for Missouri basketball on Twitter. I'm even more so I've, since the basketball season started. I feel like that people have just kind of switched, at least on Twitter, on who on my timeline is like. I, I'm a little surprised by that too. I mean, I like my basketball and everything, but hey, football season's pretty in the thick we're of it. Competitive right now. in the <laughs> SEC and like um, some of our um, brethren doing podcasts and um, a lot of the bloggers on uh, Mizzou sports have just completely just like switched over to basketball and it's like our season's not even over yet in football guys maybe it's just because it began I'll tell you what there isn't enthusiasm in Mizzou arena there were under 6,000 people there last night against a grand Valparaiso but uh damn I I feel like in years past we used to be able to fill that place a little well or at least the Hearn Center you know there's been very little enthusiasm um for the old coach and uh Kim Anderson's going to have to earn those fans back. It's Mizzou. I'm, you know, as much as it pains me to say this, it's not an enthusiastic fan base. No, they for they, any sport. they like winning. But and, and give them credit though, it's hard to get out in the freezing cold temperatures and go to a shitty cupcake game. And they have so many of them in the preseason because you got to win thirty games almost. Yeah. It seems like to go to the tournament and anymore. It's not cheap. 
It's, it's, no, they're proud of their tickets, and everybody has an HD TV. And you're, you know, if you're a student without season tickets and you decide you want to go to a game, I mean, you know, I remember being a student. I didn't have any fucking money. Yeah. And let's be honest, too. It was football Sunday. It's NFL Sunday. No doubt. That NFL's king. So as much as you might like the Tigers. the cheese game. <laughs> yeah. If you like the Tigers, you may love the NFL. So anyway, that's enough talk about basketball. Missouri won against A&M. They're going to win against Tennessee. That's their hope so. And then uh, hopefully we'll go back to Atlanta and maybe get the right to get our asses pounded in. By Alabama, they're gonna mm. they're gonna punch us in the ass so often <laughs> that our rectal area will look like the gaping maw of a hungry hippopotamus. I feel like they'll jam their whole fist up our asshole and use us like a puppet. Yeah, you know, and like talk to us with their, with our own uh, mouth by jamming their hand up our ass. I, I think they will leave our rectum so swollen and bent out of shape that you can, much like Groundhog Day, throw playing cards into our asshole like he did a top hat. I think that. Um, I hope they have those like little rally towels, you mm-hmm. know, that I saw them using at Texas A&M, because we're going to need them to mop up the blood and fecal matter. Well, Alabama sweat and our tears. Yeah, yeah. Um, from the uh, undoubted pounding we're going to take. And I'm going to leave you with this, folks. That's the best case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope we get a lot of angry, angry tweets and and uh, emails. When we beat Alabama in the SEC championship. I really do. <laughs> I I mean, remember what you guys said? We were just going to take it in the can, you fucking idiots. I will gladly read every one of those evils. In fact, I will read them on the air. I'll be so thrilled if, if that happens. happens. Yeah, we got a long way to go, though. And so uh, thanks for tuning in again. Follow us on Twitter at Mazodcast. Email us if you like, Mazodcast at gmail.com. Anything else before we head out, Colin? I think I've done all the damage I can do. (laughs) I know I have. So take it easy. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Here's my dick. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broom 
Gate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broom Gate. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.